0: The second reading can be found on page 1045 of the Church Bibles. It comes from James, beginning at um, chapter 4, verse 11, going through to 5, 6. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin to them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you.
1: Okay, well, you can see there's a sermon outline there. We're pushing straight on into uh, the sermon now. Uh, And so, as always, there's a lot to get through with James. uh, And not a few challenges, sadly, for us. Uh, But I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get stuck into this next part of James. So let's pray. Loving Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be together today. You are blessing us abundantly in so many ways. and uh, We thank you for your Word and again, ask that uh, you would help me to speak truthfully, help us to hear your Word, uh, convict us of its truth, Father, and show us how you want us to respond in faith and obedience. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, C.S. Lewis said this, True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Pretty clever on the money though. Humility is an intriguing virtue, whichever way you look at it. I think we'd all like to think that we are humble, humble people. We're not proud, of course not. Uh, But as soon as you think to yourself, oh yes, (laughs) I'm a very humble person, uh, you can guarantee you've disqualified yourself as a humble person. People who lack humility seem to have an overly enthusiastic and highly elevated view of themselves and their importance in the world. If you think about people who are not humble, I wonder if any people or examples jump to mind for you. A couple uh, do for me, Uh, one's pretty old, a number of years ago there was a heavyweight boxer who was larger than life and his name was Muhammad Ali, anyone remember, you're old enough to remember him. Uh, he personified arrogance and self-promotion. He's famous for I am the greatest, which he said thousands of times, any time whereas anytime there was a camera in front of him, he said that a lot. You may remember he was the gorilla in Manila who um, floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee. That was another famous quote around him. There was even a film released about him called When We Were Kings, a very humble title again, um, He was without a doubt a brilliant boxer, if you uh, knew him or heard of him, very entertaining, often humorous, but definitely not humble. The other name that comes to mind uh, is an American businessman and previously involved in television and sometimes politician. No offense to my American friends over here. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the man who's got the height of a rhinoceros and the ego that is matched, unmatched. No surprise, it's Donald Trump. Uh, I'm not picking him in on purpose. He, he said this, part of the beauty of being me is that I'm rich. Wow. It just makes me laugh. I can't believe someone would say that. He also quoted as saying, my motto is always get even. When someone screws you, screw them back in spades. Wow, how about that? He is an outstanding model of self-promotion, self-confidence and the art of a good put-down. But I doubt anyone would call him humble. I doubt that very much. So I would say to you, let's keep praying for Mr. Trump and keep praying for America as they go through this uh, lead up to the next presidential election. But if we bring our focus back to ourselves and the community of God's people, which is where it should be, is it any easier for us to identify people whose most outstanding characteristic is their humility? Sadly, it's probably not as common as we would like it to be. our midst. And as we turn to the letter of James, it appears that a lack of humility was a real issue in the life of the church back then. You may recall last week's passage, uh, he spoke about heavenly wisdom, I've got a bit of a summary here, Uh, heavenly wisdom that's from above which is demonstrated in um, a harvest of righteousness in the life of the believer, as opposed to earthly wisdom which produced disorder and every evil practice were reminded that we had a choice between being friends with God or being friends with the world, that there were only two ways to live, characterized by either humility or being proud. We noted that the humble person is repentant and submits to God through Christ, that they are friends with God as they draw near to God and exhibit heavenly wisdom in their lives. In stark contrast, we saw that the proud person uh, is unrepentant, not submitting to God, they seek friendship with the world and bear the fruit of earthly wisdom. And James concluded last week, you were here by saying, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves before God and He will lift you up. Well, James now moves on from appealing, appealing to us for humility to highlighting three areas where God's people were possibly struggling Uh, to be humble and the first characteristic of the humble life that James draws our attention to is the need to be non-judgmental particularly with our words and so we pick it up chapter 4 verse 11 he says brothers and sisters do not slander one another anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it when you judge the law you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment upon it there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Well, we've seen in earlier chapters that James has a real concern about our use of the tongue. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 11, we saw that. And here he returns to his concern and the arrogance that the tongue can highlight. And he says, do not slander anyone. But what James is forbidding is more than what we might consider slander. Now, I wonder if you can note the uh, spelling error there in that slide. Pretty amazing, isn't it? But by definition, slander is malicious speech about someone, that is untru- about someone that's not true. It's To slander someone is to make false accusations against another's reputation. It's to slight someone's character by saying things that are false. Now, none of us, I'm sure, would ever be party to making false accusations against another member of our church, knowing full well that what we're saying is untrue or damaging to that person. But what we need to understand is that James is forbidding more than just that type of slander. Uh, The Greek word used here literally reads, do not speak down on one another. So it would seem to me that this is another challenge altogether for us. Um, As good Christians, we know not to tell lies. It's just not the done thing. It would be to break one of the commandments. We know that. But as Christians, we're also big on the truth. And if that truth happens to be negative or denigrating to a fellow believer, it is pretty easy to slip into the practice of justifying ourselves in sharing it with others well, because it's true. And if it's true, surely we can share it. Of course, we never gossip. We simply tell the truth, don't we? James says, whether our words are true or false, we should never speak down or denigrate one another. How do you think we go with that? I'll leave you to think about this for the rest of your life. We'll move on. I'm sure James would hardly agree with Paul, who says this in Ephesians chapter four. He says, "Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." So when we speak down to one another, there are two issues as far as James is concerned. The first is that in doing this, we exalt ourselves above the law. He says this, anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. It is sad that we so often feel that we need to put others down, even in jest, in order to elevate ourselves but so often that is what's happening. I'm not sure that we even do it consciously but that is what is taking place and in the process we elevate ourselves above God's Word which James says is a very dangerous thing to do. Before proceeding, we need to be clear about what James is not saying here. He is not saying that we suspend all critical faculty and never make a judgment about anyone. Apart from anything else, that's just impossible for us to do. But as Christians, we must make judgments of a moral character. However, James, what he's forbidding here is judgmentalism. That's what he's condemning, which is having a critical spirit that looks for the negative in people, that seeks to run them down and in effect says that, look, I'm better than them. That's what he's condemning. This is not the characteristic of someone who has humbled themselves before God. And when we judge one another with that sort of spirit, we put ourselves above the law of love, which James referred to us back in chapter 2, verse 8, the royal law to love our neighbour as ourselves, as Jesus has shown us. But in being judgmental, we not only elevate ourselves above the law, James says we elevate ourselves above God himself. He goes on, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? See, so James takes his argument a step further here. None of us are God, <laughs> Pretty obvious, isn't it? Yes. And therefore, none of us should take on the role of God in standing in judgment on one another. Since God is the only one who can save and destroy, only God has the right to judge. Who are we to be judgmental of one another? Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, Now listen, you who say... Uh, no, that's not the one, is it? Yeah, Sorry, change changed that. This is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. See, if we are honest with ourselves, we know our judgments of others are based on ignorance. We don't know all the facts about everything or anyone and their personal situation, but God does. Our judgments lack objectivity because of our own sinfulness. God's judgments, however, are not so tainted. So James, in calling us to be humble, wants us to see that it will mean being non-judgmental of one another, especially in the use of those powerful tongues we have. But he goes on to highlight another risk to the humble life, and that is to be presumptuous. We pick this up. Uh, No, not there, not there, okay. A couple of slides mixed up here. Anyway, um, chapter 4, verse 13, and he says, Now listen uh, to you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. James, once again, is issuing a very stern warning. He gives another example of how we could live our lives without humility and the wisdom that comes from above. And here he paints a picture of someone who makes plans without reference to God. That's what he's talking about here. Here's a person who is not living their lives in submission to God as they make their plans. And so James highlights how foolish this is for a number of reasons. First of all, because of the uncertainty of life. The person in view here in verse 13 not only thinks that time is on their side, but it's also at their disposal. How foolish can you be? They plan as if life is completely under their control and determined by their wishes. This may be how the world who rejects the rule of Christ plans, but it should not be so for the follower of Christ. James points out just how ludicrous this position is. He highlights that we are not in control. He says, we don't even know what will happen tomorrow, let alone next week or the month after that or the year ahead. His point is simple but a profound truth, don't you think? Life is full of uncertainty, which should make us humble and make us dependent on God, not proud and arrogant and independent of Him, especially in the making of our plans. I mean I'm sure together we could make a long list of examples of unpredicted or unexpected random events that happen every day of the week, which highlight just how little we are in control. I mean, what about that earthquake in Morocco? Boom. You've heard about that, that's just happened overnight. Hundreds of people lost their lives. What about that terrible bush crash up in the Hunter? Ten people, just in a blink, lost their lives. Or what about that family friend who seemed very fit and healthy and yet they got a diagnosis of a very serious illness? Or what about that colleague that you worked alongside, they seemed to be doing a great job and then they got sacked last Friday? Many more examples we could pick on. The uncertainty and unpredictability of life is all around us if we have eyes to see. COVID taught us that lesson for a brief moment. I think we seem to have forgotten that lesson how out of control the whole world was, uh, but we've moved on. See, it is easy to become proud and fall into thinking that we are in control. James says, nothing could be further from the truth, which is further heightened by his next point, not only is life uncertain, but life is also brief. He says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, that's a flattering assessment of our lives, isn't it? Just a breath, gone, gone, transient, he's saying. Hard to swallow is isn't it, some of this? But we know it's true. The psalmist says, Psalm 90, "'Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. "'But if we do not embrace this truth, "'we will be in danger of building our lives "'with misplaced trust in ourselves.'" without recognising our mortality and without having an eternal reference point. It is said that in ages past, when a Roman emperor was crowned, the royal masons would set before his majesty a variety of very elaborate marble slabs. And he was able to pick one, just one, to be his tombstone. That's what that picture is up on there. It's a slab of an emperor. Now it seems that the ancients thought it was wise for him to remember his funeral on the day of his elevation, a reminder that he would not live forever and so to plan and lead with that sobering reference point in mind. I think they were very clever, very wise. Well James reminds us that life is short, that we're a mist that appears for a short time and then vanishes and he does so not to depress us, not to discourage us, but so that we might be wise and we'd be humble as we make our plans in our lives. So far, James has reminded us that life is uncertain, life is brief, and thirdly, he wants to remind us that God, our Creator, is sovereign over all the events that happen in our lives. He says this, Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will we will live and do this or that. I wonder, is that how we approach each day? The reality is, we don't know which day will be our last any more than we knew which was going to be our first. But each day is a beautiful, precious gift from the Lord to be treasured. Do we make plans as if we are the masters of our own destiny or do we humbly acknowledge if it's the Lord's will? We'll do this or that. Food for thought. When we change jobs, when we move house, when we choose a school for our kids, when we think about overseas trips or how we spend our money, do we give a second thought to what God's will might be in regard to any of these things? We live in a world where for most people, their sole reference point as they make plans is, well, self and their chief concern is making life fun and as comfortable as it can be for self, without reference to God. James warns that should not be the case for the people of God. During the 16th and 17th century, the Puritan reformers filled their speeches and correspondence with the Latin Deo Valente, which simply meant God willing, and signed off most letters with the initials DV, DV, which was an abbreviation for that same sentiment. James isn't warning us against making plans. You can't live without making plans. However, he does give us three powerful reminders that as we seek to plan for the future, there is no room for leaving God out of the conversation. Rather, we are to humbly make our plans remembering that life is uncertain, that life is short and that our great God is sovereign over it all. Well we're going to move now on into chapter 5 and if you look at it, it seems like he's sort of jumped to a completely different subject that's got nothing to do with humility but I think that's not the case. He's still concerned that we live in humility with wisdom from above but now he turns his attention to the risks of being rich and so he says, now listen you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. So James again introduces a definitive reference point and this time it is Judgment Day and that's the day in which there will be weeping and wailing and misery. Not a pretty picture, is it? For those who have propagated injustice for personal gain. James says the corrupt wealthy will stand condemned before God and be subject to his wrath. He often uses colourful imagery, doesn't he? In verse 5 he says, you have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. But James doesn't speak of their condemnation, but also their foolishness in the way they live. He points out the very thing that they have lived for, the thing that they have placed at the centre of their universe is of no lasting value. He says in verse 2, your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your silver and gold are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Wow. So because of the reality of Judgment Day, James is reminding his readers that whatever you invest your life in, it will be put to the test on that great and awesome day. And it will be found wanting if it is in the things of this world. But James isn't saying anything new to us. Jesus is equally as direct when he spoke of the inherent risks in having riches. He said this, How hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He also went on and said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If we are to heed James's warning here, then we need to consider the state of our heart. It keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? Is it focused on the kingdom of God or simply... On the things of this world. When we took some time to think about this issue in our series, give me neither poverty nor riches. Do we recognise that whilst wealth can be a great blessing from God, it can also be a spiritual handicap if we allow it to rule our lives. Someone once said this, only in one life it will soon be past; only what's done for Christ will last. And James goes on to highlight that the great danger for the rich person isn't just in having wealth, but the impact it can have on how you live. See, once you've got it, you don't want to lose it, so it can lead to a life of hoarding, defrauding and self-indulgence. He says, you have hoarded your wealth in the last days. Now the people in view here were so committed to preserving their wealth that they've denied others enough to live on, as they have defrauded their faithful employees. I mean, it's a picture of a, abuse and exploitation. Look what he says, verse 4 Look, the wages you have failed to pay, the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And then in verse 6, he says, You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. See, when we, anyone becomes obsessed with wealth, when that is what you are living for, you will do just about anything. To preserve it. Now that might be a far cry from us and how we've obtained our wealth but James does give another warning about the dangers of the wealth saying in verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. So when any of us fail to recognise that all we are and all we have comes from the God, it's a gift from Him, that we are simply stewards of of all the good gifts he's given to us, if we fail to recognise that simple truth, then of course we will think everything is ours. And if that is the case, there's no reason to deny ourselves a life of luxury and self-indulgence. Now, these words of James are not easy for us to hear, I suspect. Because, whether we acknowledge it openly or not, we are all rich. It's a relative term, I know on a world scale, living here in Sydney, we are rich. We're amongst the wealthiest people on the planet. And we live in a society where people are hoarding their wealth in the last days at the expense of others. Greed is rampant. Let's be clear. There is nothing wrong with being rich. Hallelujah, I heard you say. Nothing wrong with being rich. But there are great dangers... And for God's people, great riches come with great responsibility. That's what we need to remember. A few years ago now, we had a thing called the Global Financial Crisis. It was a bit of a reality check back in 2007. It's like ancient history now. But there was a man called Clive Hamilton who wrote this book called Affluenza. You might not be able to see it very well there on the screen. But it had the subtitle, When Too Much Is Never Enough. And in his research... He suggests that most of us never think we have enough and as a result, a little bit of hoarding or defrauding can go unnoticed and easily be justified. Well, the Apostle Paul recognised the dangers of wealth. And this is what he wrote in 1 Timothy. He said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. James cuts to the chase yet again, doesn't he? C.S. Lewis so beautifully put it, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And James is concerned that if we are to live out the wisdom from above, if we truly are friends with God and not the world, then humility... Humility will be a noticeable virtue shining through in our lives, and the humility he has in view should exclude slander and self-righteous arrogance in being judgmental and particularly misusing our tongues in putting others down. And such humility should also be seen in our aspirations and our planning for the future. Do we do so with a kingdom and gospel focus? And the humility that James loves, that God loves to bless. We'll recognise the risks that come with being rich and lead us to be generous and recognise their fleeting value. Lots to think about. If our hope is in Jesus and not in the things of this world, then he is our inspiration for the humility that God commands of us and that we long to exhibit. Paul put it so beautifully in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name That is above every name that's humility Jesus is our model and example let's pray that God helps us to follow him let's pray loving Lord um, it's a tricky subject humility and we recognize that very often we're not particularly humble and that's probably because we're not secure in you Lord Please help us to remember we are treasured by you, loved by you, and nothing can change that through your Son, the Lord Jesus. But may that give us a humble confidence to live out our lives, not having to prove our worth to others or put other people down to elevate ourselves. Lord, help us be people who walk like the Lord Jesus in humility and faithfulness, that we might shine brightly for you and bring honour and glory to your great name. In whose name we pray. Amen.